Well, I'm really, really glad to see you came back. After last Sunday, I was a little afraid that maybe some of the frustrations I was feeling last week that might have been frustrating for you too. You would think that after as long as I've been teaching, that I would have learned how to manage my content to fit the time that I have. <laughs> but last week I had far more material than we could get done in the time that we had. And... Um, Ended up having to do a lot of editing and on the fly and didn't feel like I had done a, a good job of doing that. I was afraid I might have confused and frustrated you. So thank you for your grace and coming back. You know, I get so excited about sharing some of these things that are on my heart that I'm learning about my own walk with Christ. I get so excited. I want you to understand them too. There's a sense of urgency about these things that I share and I, I always feel this tension. I'm never going to have you back in the room two times in a row. And I just want you to get it. And I just bring more material than I can really get finished. But I'm glad that you're here today. Because I have a really, really important message that I want our church family to understand. About nine years ago, I lost a really, really good friend of mine who died unexpectedly. He was about two years older than I am. And um, his loss was hard. I had the unfortunate or the, the privilege of accompanying his wife down to Texas A&M to inform his two college-age sons that their dad had passed away. And then I had to do a funeral for one of my best friends. And it was hard. Those are days that you wish somebody else was the pastor. I drive by his house every day to work and coming home from work. His wife still lives there. So I, I think about him often. And I miss him. He was a really, really good friend. We knew each other for about 20 years. Uh, we spent a lot of time together. We did a lot of things together. We, we did a lot of tours of motorcycles around the hill country. We literally spent weeks fly fishing together in the western part of the United States in some of the most beautiful spots in the world to fly fish. We went to high school and college football games together. We went to concerts together. We saw movies together. Our families got together and we hung out for dinner and for parties. And he and I would just get together and have lunch on a fair, fairly frequent basis. And we talked about our jobs and we talked about our sons because both of us were raising boys. We talked about how both of us married up to the wonderful wives that we had. And we talk about our faith. And we were at very different places. He was very raw and new to his faith. And he and I were in some ways very different. We were on complete opposite ends of the spectrum politically. But we shared a lot of values about life and living. And he was a really, really good friend. But one of the interesting things about being his friend is that I learned pretty quickly that when I'd meet somebody who had, 
who knew him only in certain experiences. People who had encountered him only in certain types of situations. People who didn't know him really well. Or worse, people who had heard things about him through other people who didn't know him very well. They were always shocked that he and I were friends. And you could see the look on their face and they'd say, you're a friend of his? And I'd say, yeah, we're very close friends. And they'd be like, but you're, the, you're a pastor. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Because some people who didn't know him very well, their impression of him is that he was a bit of a grizzly bear. He could be gruff. He could be very stern. He could be very straightforward. He was not afraid to speak his mind. And when he did, it often came with a lot of octane. He was incredibly intelligent. And if you engaged him in some sort of a debate or disagreement, he would back up what he thought and believed with facts and figures and research and experience and would often show people that they were wrong. And people don't like people who show them that they're wrong. <laughs> he wasn't intimidated by anybody or anything. So people who only had a certain limited experience with him, they thought he was a grizzly bear. But if you were his family or his friends, and his friends were family to him, you knew that he wasn't a grizzly bear. He was a great big old teddy bear. And if you got between him and his friends, then he became a mama bear. He was incredibly loyal to the people in his life that he loved. He would do anything for them. He was... Um, Incredibly compassionate and kind. He was very considerate. This big gruff man was incredibly tender hearted. He was without a doubt one of the most generous people I've ever met. And I've met some very generous people in my life. But he was far and away the most generous. He would give you the shirt off his back. There are numerous stories of him stopping to assist complete strangers with whatever help they needed. He traveled a lot with his business. He would be out in West Texas. He'd pass somebody who was stranded alongside of the highway and he would pull over and he would assist them. He would help them get their car repaired. He'd help them get gasoline. He'd put them up in a hotel for the evening if it was necessary. He'd make sure they had food to eat. He was incredibly generous. He was the kind of person that if he thought you needed something, even if you didn't know you needed it, he'd just go ahead and get it for you. And he didn't care for any thanks. It's incredibly loyal. And he was very good with words, like thoughtful, wise words. And he had a way of speaking into your life. And on many occasions, he spoke into my life. So it was interesting being his friend that some people had a perception of him as a grizzly bear. But those of us who knew him really, really well, they, they were always struck. We were always struck with his outrageous love and his enormous loyalty. And I think it's that way with God sometimes. 
that if you don't know God really well, if you've only heard some things about him here and there, or worse, you've only heard rumors about God, you might have an impression about God that he's somewhat of a grizzly bear. But those of us who have taken the time and made the effort to get to know God better, to understand him as he fully is, to the best of our ability as human beings, then you come to understand that God is incredible in his love and in his loyalty. And I want to talk with us about that today in relationship to the topic that we've been exploring the last couple of weeks. We've been exploring this idea of sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. And the first two weeks of this presentation about the sovereignty of God has explored it from one angle that might leave people with a mistaken impression about what God's like. But believe it or not, I can't say it all in a week. And so it takes a couple of weeks to fill it out. And today I want to bring another side to the discussion of the sovereignty of God that I think will be very, very helpful in order for us to move on into the discussion. Does that make sense? So here's, here's what we have so far in the first two weeks of the series. We've been looking at this idea that sovereignty is about absolute in authority and unparalleled in supremacy. So we know God to be a sovereign God, meaning he's absolute in authority. He makes the rules and the buck stops with him. Of all things, the buck stops with God. He's absolute in authority and he's unparalleled in supremacy. There's nobody more important than God. There's nobody that God answers to. He is the final say. So sovereignty might be defined this way. Sovereignty is that God can do whatever he pleases. Now, there's a part of that that we as Americans, we, we don't like that sort of permission. We don't like that sort of, you know, freedom that God can do whatever he pleases. But that's the nature of God being sovereign. I was thinking about it the other day. God can do whatever he pleases. Um, there's no angel who has a meeting with God once a week where he goes over his polling numbers. It's like, God, no, they, our numbers are low this week. I mean, you, you, you're really not being read well by the, the populace. And maybe it's time you kiss some babies and shake some hands, do some nice things to kind of bring those numbers up. No, nobody, nobody has a meeting like that with God. And I can assure you that God is not the least bit concerned about being canceled by anybody. It doesn't matter what his positions are. doesn't matter what his rules are like. God's not worried about somebody canceling him. He's, he's not afraid of that. He's like, canceling me. People have been trying to cancel me since time began. He's not worried about things like that. So God can do whatever he pleases. That's the essence or the nature of an understanding of God as sovereign. 
And then last week, we looked at this. And again, this, this may sound harsh or this may sound somewhat inflexible, but this is the nature of what we see revealed in the pages of the scripture, Old and New Testament. And it's this. Human beings don't get to tell God how to do his job. Nor do they tell him where to be or what time he needs to be there. Why? Because he's absolute in authority. And he's unparalleled in supremacy. Does that make sense? So it's interesting. If all you had was the first two weeks of this series on the discussion of sovereignty, you might have some impressions about what God is like. You know, I, I, I'm a pastor. I get to engage in a lot of people uh, with a lot of people about discussions of faith and what they think of God. And some of them have given me some very interesting descriptions of God, words that they've used to, that they think what God is like. And, and I've heard words like this. God's really stern. God's really grouchy. God's like this old man who just, you know, is completely unreasonable. That's impressions that people have. I've heard somebody say, God's really arrogant to think that it's all about him, that he should get worship from human beings. He's so conceited. God can be hard. He's harsh in some of the things that he allows to happen in the universe. He can be very inconsiderate. God can be very unfair. Because somebody doesn't get what they think they should from him. God can be unsympathetic. He can be inflexible. And you know what? There is a dimension to understanding God that he is completely inflexible. He's not changing the rules to be more popular or to be liked. Some people, their perception of God is that he's incredibly uncaring. How, how could a God like that let those sorts of things happen to people? And that at times he's perceived as cruel. We, we look at some of the things that unfold in our world and we think, what is God doing? Why does he allow something so devastating, something so um, immoral, something so gross how does he allow that to happen that's it's just cruel and for some people their only perception their only um, experience with God leaves them feeling like this is what God is like have you ever felt like that I know I have there's times that God's confusing to me. I don't understand the way that he acts. And then, then you, come a quote, you come across a quote like I did two weeks ago. And I thought, oh man, that's so good. It's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon is arguably the the greatest preacher of the 19th century. He, uh, he was a pastor of a very influential church in London back in the late 1800s. He wrote dozens of books. He was a champion of London street children. And he raised up dozens of orphanages to provide for these kids food and clothing and education. He was a very vocal um, individual about the, 
the, the immorality and the unethical practices of his day. He was a devoted student of the scriptures. And he, he had an understanding of God that, that came from his deep devotion to his faith. And I came across this quote two weeks ago. Charles Spurgeon says this, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the Christian rests his head. Oh, that's so good. I doubt any of you remember it, but two weeks ago when I was starting this discussion about the sovereignty of God and I was introducing the topic, I said something about if you could understand the sovereignty of God and learn to rest in it, it could change your life. Because Learning to trust and rest in the sovereignty of God is really the essence of what faith is really all about. Because faith is about trusting God with your life. The sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which a Christian rests his head. You see, folks, if you and I could learn to understand and appreciate God in his sovereignty. Then you can learn to step back and rest in whatever the sovereign God of the universe might ordain for you and for those that you love. But it's hard. It's hard to rest in that kind of truth. So when we talk about sovereign, that's what God is. But there's more to God than that. It's about who God is and what he's like that too often many people don't understand or appreciate. And today I want to explore a little bit more of the fuller picture of what God is like that accompanies our understanding of him being sovereign over our life. So it's interesting how God is described in the scriptures. It's described in a number of different ways. The authors use familiar pictures that people could equate with themselves with and go, oh yeah, I, I can see that about God in understanding that particular experience. So one of the most popular portrayals of God is that he's a shepherd. I mean, it's probably the most famous passage of scripture, whether you've been to church much in your life or not. Most of us know the 23rd Psalm. What does it say? The Lord is my shepherd. He's a what? He's a shepherd. What is a shepherd? A shepherd is one who takes care of, who provides for and protects his sheep. In the Bible, you and I are described as sheep. In God's fold. So God has an obligation by his character to provide and to protect us. That's what God is like. But who is it that's a shepherd? No, I'm, what does the passage say? The Lord is my shepherd. What's Lord? Lord is a term of sovereign. Lord is a word for king or monarch. 
So that king, that monarch, that sovereign, the one who in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that sovereign God is a shepherd by nature. Later in the 23rd Psalm, the writer says this, he leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What, what does that mean? It means this. That God's reputation is on the line for how well he takes care of his sheep. That's the sovereign God that you and I are in a relationship with. He's a sovereign God who's like a shepherd. Who's committed to providing for and protecting those in his care. God is often described as a father. Another image that we can make associations with is that God or a father is one who provides for and protects his children, those that he loves. So another very popular passage of scripture, our father, which is in heaven. So not an earthly father who's prone to mistakes or or corrupted by sin, but our father, the one in heaven, the one who's perfect, our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then what's next? Thy kingdom come. Wait, wait, wait. My father is has a kingdom. Yeah, because he's a king. He's a sovereign ruler over the entire universe. That sovereign Lord who at times may feel or seem harsh or unsympathetic. No, he's he's by nature fatherly like. He loves his children and is responsible to care for them. He's he's a rock. He's a a strong and steady place. A rock in, in the scripture is not like a rock you pick up and you throw. A rock is like a mountain. It's a place where people went to find refuge. It's the nature of God to seek him out for refuge from that which is dangerous or overwhelming. He's a fortress. He's like a walled city that the enemy can't penetrate because that's the nature of God to protect and provide for his own. Throughout the scriptures, you read about the right hand. The right hand is, is two images in the scriptures. It's one of a place of privilege. Where does Jesus sit? At the right hand of the throne of God. It's a place of privilege and honor. It's also a position of strength. The right hand was the soldier's predominant hand. It's the one that he carried the sword in. It was the one that was the strongest. God is like a right hand. He's a strong defender. He's a shield. He's a helper. This this is the sovereign God of the universe. This is what he's like. So it's interesting, you meet several several different words to describe sort of the the character of the nature of God. And they look like this. God is described as being compassionate. Compassion has the idea of, of, of like your heart being moved out of a response of love. You love somebody or something so much that you feel a compassion. I just need to help. That's, that's how God is described. He's described as gracious and merciful, and they're different. Merciful is that we don't get what we deserve. Grace is that you get things that you don't deserve. So in God's mercy, he extends to us forgiveness of our sin. But in his grace, he offers us salvation and eternal life. 
You'll see this word in some of the older translations of scripture. God is a jealous God. What does that mean? It's not jealousy as in the kind of sin that we can be guilty of. It's that he's incredibly protective of the people that are his own. He, he will do anything to be helpful to them. He, he gets very territorial about his children. God is described as being a helper. He's helpful. This is his nature. And he's incredibly faithful. One of the most powerful words of the Old Testament has to do with God's covenant keeping love. He's faithful to those that he's made his promises to. This, this is the sovereign God. That if you get to know him and you get to discover more about what he's like, he's not this harsh and hard sovereign. He's like a father and a shepherd. He's gracious and compassionate and helpful and supportive. That's the nature, the essence of what God is like. And we, we see people interacting with this all through the scriptures. Here's just two examples in Psalm 62. The writer says this, yes, my soul finds rest in God. <sighs> I can relax in God. My hope comes from him, not my money, not my job, not my health. My hope, the real hope that matters in life, it comes from him. Look at these images. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I, I retreat to him for protection. I, I will not be shaken by whatever life throws at me. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in God at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is a place of safety. We read about this in Lamentations back in your Old Testament. Because of the Lord's great love, this is just the nature of the sovereign. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions, they never fail. He never runs out of compassion. I meet people all the time who are just sure that God's going to run out of what they need. His love, his mercy is great. That somehow they're just going to push him so far that he's going to not have enough for them. His compassion never fails. In fact, you get fresh compassion every morning. They're new every morning. And some of us, we need it every morning. Great is your loyalty, your faithfulness on our behalf. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. It's an interesting way of saying the Lord is really everything that I really need. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will, I will wait for him. I'll rest for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the ones who seek him, it is good. Listen to this. Are you listening? Yep. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God seemed kind of quiet. God seemed kind of far. The instruction is wait in the confidence that God in his perfect timing, he will provide. Are, are you following this? 
Okay, so one of the most repeated phrases that you read in the Bible is this, fear not. Fear not. Over and over again in these words or words like them, the writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament, they frequently remind people of faith to not live by fear, to not live shackled in fear. Now, there's, there's, there's a popular meme or factoid out on the internet right now. It says the word fear not occurs 365 times in the Bible. And you're like, that's a really nice thought, isn't it? A little fear not for every day of the year. There's just one problem. It's not true. It doesn't occur 365 times. But I'll tell you this, it occurs a lot. It occurs hundreds of times in, in one way or another. God and Jesus both speak to people of faith and say, stop living in fear. Or, you ready? You ready? The other way he says that is quit worrying. Because worry is just an expression of fear. So over and over again, God and Jesus quit living by fear. Well, that's related to an understanding of God's sovereignty. The reason that we don't have to live with fear is because a sovereign God watches over you. Watches over me, a sovereign God who's compassionate and helpful, who's merciful and gracious, a compassionate sovereign God who's a shepherd and like a father. He's the one who watches over you. One of the most frequent references in scripture as it describes our relationship with God is that we're portrayed as being in God's hands. Whose hands? The sovereign God of the universe. You remember that first verse of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You're in his hands. The sovereign God, the creator and sustainer of all. He's got you in his hands. And we see this image all throughout the scriptures. Look at it, just like some examples. Psalm 63. My soul clings to you, God. Your right hand. What hand? His right one, the strong one, your right hand, it upholds me. It's like God right behind you, just picking you up along the way. Look at this one, Psalm 139. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. The image of Psalm 139 is like this. It's like, this is one of God's hands and, and you're there. And then the other God, uh, God's hands is over top of you. And he's holding you like a, like, you know, like a bird. Or a butterfly, and he, he just hems you in. It doesn't matter, you go off to work, he's got you here. You go off to school, he, he's got you here. You go to the doctor's appointment, and you get bad news, he's got you here. It doesn't matter what's going on in life. This is how God holds you in his hands. Isaiah says, don't be afraid. This is God, don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. I'm your God. Like, I'm your God. The only God that there is. The one who's unparalleled in supremacy. I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my, not just his right hand, but his victorious right hand. He's not accustomed to losing because he can't. For I am the Lord, your God, who takes hold. Look at this. He holds you in his right hand and he holds your right hand. The Lord God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear. I will help you. Are you hearing this? Jesus makes this interesting observation. He says, my sheep, people who are related to me by faith, my sheep listen to my voice. And I know my sheep. I know them by name. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my, what? My hand where I hold them. My father who's given them to me, the sheep, he's greater than all. Remember, unparalleled in supremacy. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And I and my father were one, we're one in the same. This image of us being held securely in the hand of God and protected by him. That is the image of the sovereign God who in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. Did you follow that? So I'd say it this way, the safest place on earth is to be a child of God living under the watchful care of the sovereign sustainer of the universe. This, this is what I want you to get. This is what I want you to understand. This is what I want you to embrace is that my faith, my faith is in the sovereign God of the universe. But he's not hard and he's not harsh and he's not unsympathetic and he's not unfair. He's a father and a shepherd and a fortress. He's a helper and a defender. He's full of compassion and mercy and grace and kindness and helpfulness. This is the God that we place our faith in. This is the God that we become connected to when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our savior. Does that make sense? So we talk about trusting God. Trusting God with our life. Trusting God with our children. Trusting God with our health. Trusting God with our wealth. Trusting God. That is the essence of faith. Well, here's some things I want you to trust in because they're true. The first one is this. The sovereign God's intelligence is infinite. God doesn't make mistakes or miss important details. God is not living in a frenzy in heaven like, oh, how in the world did the world get so big? There's so many of them and I can't be everywhere. But that's it. He can be everywhere at the same time because he's unlimited. We go looking for... We go looking for direction and input from so many other sources, people who are so smart, but you don't know anybody on earth who's even begins to compare with God when it comes to intelligence and wisdom. God's intelligence 
is infinite. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't get caught unaware about what's going on in your life. Secondly, the sovereign God's strength is unlimited. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get worn out. God never has like a busy week, comes to the week and says, oh, I'm exhausted. And never, because his strength is unlimited. God will never be overcome by anything stronger than him. Nothing, nothing unfolding on our globe right now is beyond God's capacity. Thirdly, the sovereign God's love is unconditional. Some of you, you need to hear this and embrace it. Quit feeling ashamed and guilty and afraid that somehow what you've done is beyond the limits of God's love. It's not true. God doesn't relate to you on the basis of your behavior. His love for you is unconditional. There's no conditions placed on it. God doesn't love us any less for the poor choices that we make. The sovereign God's promises are irrevocable. There's never a circumstance where God fails to keep the promises that he's made to you. And yet that's what some of you believe. Because something didn't turn out like you thought it should, you are living in the interpretation that God broke his promise to you. And it's not true. God cannot break his promises. It's wrapped up in the nature. It may turn out differently than you might have wanted it. But he never breaks his promises. And finally, the sovereign God's faithfulness is unshakable. God's commitment to us knows no end. Folks, these are the sorts of truths that we build our faith on. You know, I I received a letter um, two weeks ago. Uh, through our website. We have a, a place where somebody can reach out to our church. I received a letter from a gentleman. And um, it, it, was, it was about a, a life that's been hard. A life that's been incredibly disappointing. To the point of being disillusioning when it comes to his faith in God. And I I wrote a response to him, try to help him make sense of some of the things that are going on in his life. And unfortunately, um, the the email address that he provided was incorrect or was no longer working. So I say, Daniel, if you're listening today, if you're watching today, please reach out to us again and give us your correct contact information so I, I can respond to you. But I don't want you to think that we didn't care enough to get back with you. But what I was struck with in this letter is that for this man, 
it seemed like his faith was important to him. And he seemed to know a lot about faith. But I only had the few clues that he provided in his letter. And from the clues, what I understood was that sadly or unfortunately, his, his faith was grossly mistaken. Somewhere along the line, he had been led to believe some things that are completely counter or contrary to what God declares about himself in the scriptures. And so his whole life seems like it's been this struggle of a faith journey because his life is really being led by a number of lies. There's the faith that we learn about when we read and we go to a class and we talk to our friends. And then there's the faith that we live. And sometimes they're not always the same. Folks, that's why it's so important to me as your pastor. It's so important that you spend time reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, knowing the scriptures, because it's there that we find the truth about God and what he's like. So that our faith isn't built simply on perceptions or rumors from other people, but our faith is founded in the truth of what God is really like. I just tell you, this isn't a shameless plug, but our, our rooted experience is designed to be helpful for folks to get better acquainted with the truth about what God is like through a study of the scriptures and a discussion among spiritual peers so that our faith isn't built on lies. We're not being misled by things that aren't true. Does that make sense? So when we talk about trusting a sovereign God who at times feels a little harsh, maybe a little uncaring, maybe very inflexible, I want you to also know that he's like a shepherd and a father and a fortress He's like a shield. He's full of compassion and mercy and grace and helpfulness and loyalty. That's the God who's the sovereign sustainer of the universe. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with him. And it's important that you get some of that for the discussion that will now ensue in weeks four, five, and six of this series, because you say, wait a second. If God loves me and he's full of compassion and he's helpful, then how in the world do I explain some of the things that have unfolded in my life or in the lives of people that I love? How in the world do I explain some of what I see happening around our globe how in the world do I explain some of what's happening in our nation? If God is in fact the kind, compassionate, caring father that he wants us to believe he is. But we had to start with a foundation that this sovereign God of the universe cares for you and he loves you and he's loyal to you.
So I'll leave you with this. Isaiah says this. You will keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on God. Because this person trusts in God. We all have to ask ourselves honestly. If we profess to be Christians who live by faith, we have to ask ourselves honestly, do, do I live with a sense of peace? Or is it just all this turmoil brewing inside of me all the time? Because the one who trusts in God will know perfect peace. So I don't know about you, but evidently I still have more work to do. Now, I could ask you to be peaceful here today, try for a few minutes. And you could probably do it. But the real challenge is that we leave here and Monday happens. And then Wednesday comes along. And you still got Thursday and Friday to go. And truth is, the weekends aren't very peaceful either. But are we going to live by faith that our trust rests in the sovereign God of the universe who's stronger, more intelligent, more faithful than any other person on the planet? So I leave you with this prayer. Maybe take a picture of it. Use it throughout this week. It's just a prayer that I was like, ah, dear Lord, I want to rest in you this week. I really want to make a better effort of resting in you. When the tempest of the demands of my time and energy overwhelm my soul, I want to rest in you. When the temptation of my sin seeks to undo me yet again, I want to rest in you. When the worries of my life like arrows endeavor to pierce all hope within me, I want to rest in you. I determine once again on Wednesday afternoon, I determine once again to rest in the sovereign Lord of the universe who loves me as his very own child. Say it. A million times if you have to. But I invite you to learn to rest in the Lord who's the sovereign sustainer of your life. Make sense? Let me ask you to stand together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we want to rest in you this week. We want to learn how. Fill our hearts and our minds with a focus on you and a clearer growing understanding of who you are and what you're like. God, thank you that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are your sons and your daughters and you are our father and you are a great king the sovereign sustainer of the universe. 
May we learn to live and rest in that. I pray and ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. If I have not had the opportunity to meet you, please come up and introduce yourself following the service.